Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths of an attitude of gratitude. An evergreen is always green despite the changes of the weather around it. And so also our lives are to be characterized by an enduring thankfulness that is unaffected by the changes around us. When the heat of the pressure, pain of suffering, whatever it may be, we should stand evergreen, always thankful regardless of that which surrounds us. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We've all witnessed the heartwarming scene on TV, or perhaps photos in the newspaper, of someone visiting the fire station to thank the brave souls who rescued them from the certain peril of a burning car or a rushing river. Well, turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we find the Apostle Paul in a similar occasion, thanking God for the salvation and sanctification of loved ones at the church at Thessalonica. Today, in a study titled, A Thankful Heart, we'll be learning the simple truths of both a present joy and a future hope that all followers of Jesus have to be eternally thankful for. Let's listen. Paul has laid out for the Thessalonians the necessary information about the day of the Lord and the man of sin. Paul has described the deceptiveness of the man of lawlessness and the extent of those deceived, along with the condemnation of those who follow him in verses 9 through 12. This middle section is the very heart of the epistle and the main reason for his writing the letter from verse 1 to 12 of chapter 2. It's the heart of it. Now, in sharp contrast, Paul declares his thanksgiving for the Thessalonians who are saved and following Jesus. Don't miss the contrast. Those who follow the Antichrist spirit and ultimately the person of the Antichrist, now in contrast, those who are following Jesus Christ. You must look at this section in the midst of the whole section in its context. Very important. His thanksgiving is evident by three elements in verses 13 through 15. Let me read the text here. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Here's the three elements that the thanksgiving is characterized by. First of all, the expression of thanksgiving. The first portion of verse 13. Second, you have the explanation for the thanksgiving. The rest of 13 and all of 14. And then you have the exhortation in view of the thanksgiving in verse 15. So you have the expression, the explanation, and the exhortation. Let's begin here with the first the exhortation of thanksgiving. Notice, first of all, the person being thanked was who? God. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. 
Paul and his poll laborers acknowledged the debt to God for the salvation of the Thessalonians, as you and I should for every individual. We thank God for ministers who are faithful. We thank God for churches who are committed. We thank God for people who are co-laborers. But we thank God for the salvation of man. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay? It's so easy to become so transferred over to a man. We're going to be studying Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah's eyes were on the king of the earth. And the king of heaven had to remove the king of the earth so he can get his eyes back on the king who reigns. It is a natural tendency of sinful man that we can get our eyes on a man that God has used. And at times God removes the man to kind of slap us awake that we get our eyes on God. We are bound, he says. It is in the verb form indicating a sense of continual obligation to give thanks with the idea of owing. The Thessalonians stood in sharp contrast to those just mentioned who would follow the Antichrist. These have followed Jesus Christ. There's the contrast. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 10, those who did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now here, those who have received the love of the truth, the Thessalonians. Now notice the thought about their salvation caused the apostles to be gripped with the cause of gratitude to God for the Thessalonians. This very word is used of paying a debt or obligation in the scriptures of a payment. Paul uses it once before regarding their own growth in faith and love in chapter 1 verse 3. And so as we're born again, there is a, a, an indebtedness, a sense of duty towards God, but also as individuals towards God for each other. Remember, the members of the body are all fit together. We all affect one another. Now notice the man Paul and his co-laborers were characterized as men who acknowledged God as the source of all spiritual things. This is very important. The evidence of thankfulness is overwhelming throughout the two letters. The word always has the idea of all times. All times that they prayed. So we don't live every day, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, thank you, thank you. No, but man, when we come to prayer, the first thing I open up, Lord, I just thank you. First, I ask him to cleanse from my sin, then I thank him. I thank you for your grace, for your love, for everything you're doing. I thank him. The very bed you jumped in last night, clean, warm. The shower you jumped in, you turned on, it was warm water this morning. Basic things. Some plants, some water, but God gives the increase. First Corinthians 3, 6 or 7. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. It is to him and him alone. We are but dust. Notice, secondly, the persons being thanked for were what? Family. They were family. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. The Thessalonians had been born into the family of God. The word brethren, as you know, is Adolphus, which means from the same womb. There's other phrases used synonymous throughout the scriptures. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Same synonymous term. Not the same Greek word, but it's a synonymous term. Paul says, you must repent. Another synonymous term. All of these indicate what takes place when a person is brought into the new life of Jesus Christ. The word appears 19 times in the first letter, and it appears 9 times in this one. The family. This is a love letter, family to family. 
The apostles and his co-laborers were their equals, not their superiors. Do you notice that? Paul the apostle, here he is. He's been used of God. He's been tested by God. He's been prepared by God. He's been schooled. He knows more, more history, more Greek, more Hebrew, more than anything else. And yet he always says, brethren. The apostle Paul and his co-laborers, notice, felt the close family camaraderie to those who had been born into the kingdom as they had. They had come on the same basis as Paul. Paul as they. Nobody could boast. And that they were the very ones also that were used by God to preach the gospel to Thessalonians. So, in a way, Paul was their spiritual father, but he comes down to their level and says, we're brothers. I wear many different hats. I am a husband. I am a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm a elder. I'm the senior pastor. And yet, I have to be able to come down to you. I have to be able to sit and talk to you, not talk down at you, if I'm a servant. And this is Paul right here. He always does this. He, he just went out of his way to minister and to rejoice and to just be excited about what God was doing in the life. Listen, of others. It's easy to get excited about what God's doing in my life. Because it's all about me. But the truth test is what God is doing in your life. Do I get excited? Also in that they had been forced to leave. Under persecution and didn't know how the Thessalonians would fare. As you know, Timothy returned and he came back with the good news and said, Hey, they not only persevere, they have a contagious faith, man. (laughs) What do you think Paul did? Man, he jumped for joy. For them, not for himself, for them. You see, the Thessalonians were being recipients of the loving care and affection of older brothers. But notice that the Thessalonians were also loved by the Lord. The Thessalonians were identified as the object of God's love. The Thessalonians had been and continued to be the recipients of the Lord. Bestowing his love on them individually and corporately. Beloved by the Lord. God's love never changes towards a man or a woman. When that man or woman is in the world lost, God loves them intensely. When that person comes to Christ and repents, God's love does not increase for them. All that happens is that prior to being saved, God's love could not communicate the benefit because the relationship was severed. Now that the relationship is reconciled, now he can bestow the benefit of his love. You and I as parents do the same with our children. Their relationship is tweaked with us. We're not too happy with them. We don't bless them. But once that relationship is reconciled, our love is the same. But now it's able to bless them because we are in agreement. As Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question. No. So the goal is always restoration, reconciliation, not merely castigation. Castigation is as much evidence of love as blessing. It's the flip side. The word love is agapao, God's divine love without respect to persons. Now you and I respect persons at times. 
Sometimes without knowing it, sometimes willfully. Our tendency is always there, even as Christians. We may say, oh, I'm not prejudiced. We're all prejudiced to an extent. And when it comes up, the Holy Spirit convicts me and tells me to turn from it. As long as I'm in this body, those things are going to come. The thoughts, the impulses, everything else. And then the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? And i got to respond. And I said, Lord, thank you. Help me. And I move on. I don't feel condemned about the thought or the impulse. I feel bad. And I should feel bad and convicted if I don't respond in obedience to check it. You understand what I'm saying? That's important. The agape love of God was due to the repentance from their sins. They were being beloved of God. They were the object of God's love and the recipients of the benefit of God's love as you and I. Stop and think of all that God has done for you, what he does every day. Look at the years back. Look at everything, the opportunities, the, 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 the understanding he's giving you, the peace of mind, the, the clearness of eyes so you can live your life without wavering, without being tossed to and fro with stability that stands fast. Where if you had not had Christ, there you go, but for the grace of God, as I and everyone else. The one loving the Thessalonians as the object of his love was the Lord, Kurios, master, the owner of their lives, the one who died for them, the one who would do all that was best for them. Because he knows what's best, even as our parents knew what's best. We as parents know what's best for our children. And so we have to say no sometimes. We have to say not now, later. We can make mistakes, but God doesn't make mistakes. So we should learn and give God a break. If we do this as parents who are evil (laughs) by nature, how much more will our Heavenly Father do that towards us with perfection? An evergreen is always green despite the changes of the weather around it. It is green in the heat of summer as well as in the cold of winter. And so also our lives are to be characterized by an enduring thankfulness that is unaffected by the changes around us. When the heat of the pressure of the week, of work, of illness, pain of suffering, whatever it may be, which should stand evergreen, always thankful regardless of that which surrounds us. That's a yielding of obedience to the resources of God. So that he can live through us. It's not of ourself. It's God. Do you acknowledge your indebtedness to give thanks to God for the salvation of others? Your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, your sister. Or have you come to a place of indifference? And, and, they, and, and even now when somebody says, you know who got saved? And you go, who? And they give you the name and you go, oh, great. Great. They're saved. They're not going to be damned. The wrath of God's not going to be on them. And we as Christians can become indifferent about the most precious, the most valuable commodity that God died for. Salvation of an individual. We need to be reminded. Those God allows you to bring to the Lord out of a clear blue sky. You're not planning it. You just go. You're going to the store and conversation strikes up and you're able to lead someone to the Lord. And you walk away just blown away. <laughs> or do you just, no, no big deal. Just. Like every, uh, Psalm 104 or 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. That is what we are to be characterized. 
Do you ever express to your brothers and sisters your thankfulness to God for their salvation? To one another. Due to the enrichment of their life as your friends? That how much others have blessed you and come alongside you to help you, to aid you, to pray for you, to just be ready for anything. You can call them at a drop of a hat and you know they're there. That they can say that about you because you are a faithful friend. Often more faithful than family members. Do we express that gratitude towards each other? We should. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Thankful. Do you give thanks to God as you see Him bless others who are following Him? Even when they seem to be blessed more than you. <laughs> when you see someone being blessed of God, do you really rejoice? Or do you say, I can't believe that sucker. I don't know why God's blessing him. <laughs> True test of a servant, huh? And you know why we do that? Because we start comparing and start reasoning. But the thing is that you're not what he is or she is. He may be a hand. You may be just a little toe. And God's not going to call you to do the things that He's going to call them to do. We have to function within our gifts, within our calling, and rejoice for the other members. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The expression of thanksgiving was a personal obligation. Paul could do nothing else. Notice secondly here. The rest of verse 13 and all of 14. The explanation for thanksgiving. First, in verse 13, the plan of God was manifested. That's one of the explanations. Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation. This is the divine side. Okay, we always begin with God. If you begin with man, you'll miss God. You must always begin with God, then you will get a proper perspective of man and everything else. And that's the problem with the study of human studies. They begin with man, extend forward, and they miss God. Notice, the person behind the plan was God. God is the subject, and he's made emphatic by being placed after the verb. The middle voice of the verb he chose makes God the one acting and the recipient of the actions. The middle voice in the Greek always says that. It's like, like this. Bill hit the ball and the ball hit Bill. Bill was not only the one doing the acting on the ball, but the ball, he was the recipient of that action. And so God is the one who chose for the sole purpose of him bring, having the benefit of that. Now you understand why God wrote it in the Greek, not in Spanish, English, or anything else? <laughs> It's very specific. He is the emphasis. He is the one acting. The aorist tense makes it a past fact. Even as the apostle told them in the opening verse of the first letter, knowing, beloved brethren, your election of God. In 1 Thessalonians 1.4. In the mind of God, we're looking at the divine side. It's, it's done. You understand? If God should tarry, in the mind of God... The next generation that has not even been conceived, let alone born, are already saved. Can you handle that? <laughs> and 
in the mind of God. He told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Now, I was just flicking through the channels last night, and they were doing this amazing operation. They took a, a woman's entire uterus out and operated on the baby there. Now, it's amazing what God has allowed these doctors to do. But God says, I knew that baby before he was in there. The doctors have to wait till he gets in there. The very one who created the heavens and the earth. The very one who created Adam and Eve to fellowship with him. The very one who sought Adam to cover his sin. This is the one who's doing the choosing. You know, God's not like, remember when you chose teams, play over the line or something? And you go, okay, I take him, I take him. And then they're like, now you take him. No, you can have him, we'll give him to you. No, God's not like that. I don't want him, I don't want him either. Come on, we'll give you three points to start. (laughs) Now the point in time of the plan was from the beginning. The word beginning means the commencement. But the commencement, the beginning of what? Is it the beginning of time? Is it the beginning of the lives of the Thessalonians, those being saved? Or is it the beginning of the age of grace? Neither. This has to be the beginning of eternity past, which has no beginning. God lives in eternity. So it refers to the eternity past. Somewhere back in eternity, God made and decided on the plan. In his own mind, he always has been, always will be. Linear time is introduced to us in Genesis as he put man on the earth. Chronological time. But eternity has stood from eternity. God is. The point in time of God's redemptive plan. The plan of determined purpose of God's choosing. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells the Ephesians, Ephesians 1.4, that he chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. Before he laid the foundations, you were chosen. I was chosen. Now, some people have a hard time about that. I don't have any problem. I'm just glad he chose me. As Spurgeon says, I'm glad he chose me before I came because if you, if you waited till I come, he never chose me. Now notice the personal choice was for salvation. There are many words in the scriptures related to God's choosing. The word election, predestination, the word ordain. Many words that are used for it. God's choosing is based on his foreknowledge. Never forget that. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge simply means to know beforehand, and God is the only one who has this attribute, foreknowledge. You don't have it, I don't have it. Can you imagine if you had foreknowledge, you'd spend your day all over in Santa Anita Racetrack. (laughs) Vegas. Only God has this. God's choosing is based on His perfect knowledge, wisdom, and perfect righteousness. He cannot make a mistake. Now you and I can take a test, study real hard, and you and I can get 100% on that test that particular day. Okay? So we would be able to say we are inerrant and were inerrant when it came to that test. But we can never say though we were inerrant at that particular test, we cannot say that we are infallible because we have capacity to fail. So I may be inerrant at a particular time and event, But I can never say I'm infallible. God is inerrant and infallible. 
That's why the scriptures are a reflection of Him, and we say the plenary verbal inspiration of God, inerrant and infallible. No mistake. Pastor Xavier Reese, and putting our trust in a God who can be trusted. And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But there's still much more to this lesson coming on our next broadcast as well. If you won't be able to tune in, though, you can always pick up a CD copy of this message, and the title to ask for is A Thankful Heart. It's available for only $4. And having your own copy makes it convenient to share with someone in your church or Bible study once you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is A Thankful Heart, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What happens when life's problems seem too big to handle? Simple solutions are coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 